Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 13 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, May the 1st. First, I'll be interviewing Andreas Zulmer, the founder of Longtail UX, which managed to secure $5 million of funding when so many Australian businesses are struggling with the impact of COVID-19. How did you do it? And then I'll be talking to Rabobank economist Michael Ivory about how China's economy is coping with the global recession and whether it will recover. But now, let's talk to Andreas Zulmer. Andreas, uh, tell us about how Longtail got funding in this climate. <laughs> ah, yeah, well, the clouds opened, the sun came out, and then money descended down from the sky. No, so this has been... Um, in the making like for, for a very long time. So um, we've been in contact with with Investec probably for the last, well, it's almost three years. Um, and so over that time, we had, uh, well, we have existing investors and um, we have done like 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 smaller funding rounds before. And um, we, we were always talking to them and they were interested in our business. But in the end, just through process and also just timing, um, we did like the, the earlier raisings with with our existing uh, investor network, um, which is mainly through which which came actually through my co-founder Will Santo. So he had another business before well, so business are running, but uh, he founded another business, and so there was like an investor investor base there. Um, so it hasn't been like it, it actually had been a process of like almost three years of us knowing each other. They know about our business. Uh, we had like regular, like once a year, like we we had like a like a like a longer catch-ups. They helped us in 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 some other ways um, in, with introductions, and so yeah. So there was like a long time relationship before as well. And then we had been uh, talking to them about the current round, like started conversations in uh, it was actually August, August September, and then got more into like serious term discussions and timing uh, that was in November. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you'd been working on it for some time in for before the shutdowns. Absolutely, yes. So I mean, that was crucial. I guess like, if, 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 if you start conversations right now, it, it's just a very different uh yeah just very different timing so so what happened is we we were always um, so we had a time signed to m sheet uh, in january and then we had basically went through all the due diligence all the conditions present lists and everything and and were then uh, was about to 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 actually sign final documents obviously we had to um get everything past our existing investors like they had to obviously agree on uh, like there were some changes to the shareholders agreement, everything. So, so that, that process took took a while, and really, like at the last stage, suddenly the whole COVID nineteen uh, situation completely changed. Um, I think everyone in in February still saw this as a as a Chinese problem, um, and the, even early March, and then suddenly, like one week to the other, things changed dramatically. Because they, the investor had to, to also look at what they actually mean for, meant for them, because um, what their fund. And 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 they have um, they have other other investee companies um, and everyone is differently affected, and so they also had to first look at what does that mean for our for the other businesses, what does it mean for follow up funding. So so there was there were a few days where the, well, we had to actually see what it means for us. They had to see what it means for them, um, but we both came to the conclusion that we both wanted to go ahead. It must have been a very very tense and worrying time. And uh, I mean, you, you know, you would have been really worried that whether this was going to go ahead. I, I think the worry was much more on timing. So I think that the question was actually not, we were not really worried that it wouldn't go ahead at all. It was more like there were like two, three weeks where everyone, probably two weeks really, like where no one knew what it really, I think now everyone knows a bit more what it means. And we know that like going to be a big impact, but you see, for some sectors, you see positive changes. For many sectors, you see, of course, very, very challenging environments. And then there's some in the middle who still have to figure out, like, does it go up or down or where do they go? But um, like for two weeks, I think no one knew where, where, what it really meant. So um, so it was more on timing. And we had invested, obviously, um, 
uh, a lot of time in, into 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 the deal before, and they had to. I mean, uh, on their side as well. And then if timing had slipped, it would have just meant you have to completely replan, and that would have been just like a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and a lot of yeah going into something where you then have to rethink about the whole situation again. So I think in the end, we were actually both both sides were really quite happy to say, okay, we've done the due diligence. Um, whatever happens right now, um, we're Long term X is an online, it's online, right? Like it's, it's a software as a service to, to make businesses stronger uh, and get a higher return on investment on, on the largest channel, the most important channel that's still is search. Um, and, and so that's not going to go away. Um, and also we're, we're sector agnostic. So we have uh, clients from, if we had had only clients in travel, I think it would have been a different story. Um, but we have like very few there. We have retail, like all the different from FMCG to, to uh, automotive, to uh, beauty, to electronics. Uh, then we have even finance and insurance clients. We have logistics. It's like it's, it's so broad. And I think that's why we both felt confident that while um, right now it's very uncertain times, um, it's going forward. Now, you have, you have clients here like uh, Booktopia and Dan Murphy's and Kogan and Woolworths. Is that right? Correct. Yes, that's correct. And uh, you were, you're looking to expand overseas. Yeah, so we have we actually have uh, two teams already, one in the U.S. and and one in Europe. So we have uh, now our head of, head of North America is based in Seattle. They've been in lockdown for for a bit, working from home. Um, and uh, then we have our head for EMEA is in London, and we have another team member, a salesperson in Madrid. Um, so we also had really good insights what the whole situation means or can mean because i mean this obviously well seattle went in lock into lockdown really early spain has been affected dramatically like way before here as well so um now the exciting part about your business is uh, the way uh, you can actually help companies uh, profit from uh, their landing pages uh, absolutely Yes, exactly. So basically, our software, our technology helps websites to be more relevant and to create a better user experience for how people actually search on, on Google, um, whether that is through the organic results or clicking on, on text ads or clicking now actually on shopping ads. We have a new product there as well. Um, so it, it helps businesses just to, to spend their money for, for like um, customer acquisition and, and, and sales through the, through the search channel um, to do this much more efficiently. Yeah. So what's the technology using? Uh, artificial intelligence? Uh, there, there, there's an element of that. Um, there is, there's lots of elements. So it's first of all, we have to figure out how do people actually search? So what are the keywords and what is the different search intent? Then we have to, there's an element of, uh, of feed management. We have to get the website content into our system and then we have to match that and, and also make sure the user experience uh, is just the same as on, 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 on the existing website. So we actually host... Uh, at the moment, uh, we host a million pages uh, across all our different different clients on our system, actually. But they have to look like the client's website. Uh, so, so there's different elements, and so to figure like there's some some element of machine learning, but um, uh, just just to figure out like the, the different algorithms we have to create our own algorithms to match products to keywords and all of that. Yeah. So, uh, so how many do you have working for you? Uh, it's a team of 32 at the moment. And where are they based? Um, uh, 29 are based here in Sydney, um, now in, in many different suburbs. I can't name you the suburbs where everyone lives. Sorry, I'll be um, and, of course, and of course, they're all working remotely. 
exactly their all working room I'm, I'm in the office here um but it's literally at the moment will is sitting uh, 50 meters uh on the other side and myself here um whenever we feel we are not as efficient at home um but everyone else is working from home yeah and then we have uh, frank in 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 the uk uh carla in in uh, spain and jamie in the us and of course with your plans to expand overseas you'll be uh developing uh more a greater workforce overseas would that be right yeah correct um so uh first is is, is sales just to basically have someone who actually is able to contact new business and to bring a new business from there but then the next step is account management over there as well so someone who actually uh, like services clients um in in country and in in time zone as well so currently we're serving servicing uh clients on five continents um from from sydney and the time zones that that obviously we have to adapt a lot so the plan the plan is definitely after sales to get um uh service the service team and then also uh the technical support in those countries but the the headquarters will will be like for the foreseeable future absolutely here in sydney and other plans uh so you'll have to expand your remote working capacity as well yeah so i mean in that sense we were actually quite well prepared because we are used to um well, we're doing sales over video calls most of the time we even in the us like if you have a presence in the us is quite a normal thing as well for them um because it's a, it's, a, it's a large country um uh and we are used to service our clients like there's lots of well, remotely and um, we even we had a work from home policy as well before that everyone in the team here every two weeks they can work a day from home we didn't want to make it more not because we can't work from home but it's more like just to have uh, also enough people in the office and have the energy but so we, we were actually quite well prepared i think comparably um for, for the situation right okay okay well uh it'll be fascinating to watch and andreas we're wishing you all the best for the future thank you very much for your time well thank you very much Leon. thanks and now let's talk to rabobank economist michael ebrey and i apologize for the quality of the skype call well michael uh we, we've uh we've watched the figures coming out of china china's gdp shrank by 6.8 percent for the first three months of the year uh, the first year-on-year contraction in decades, the first since records started. It's, uh, it's a sign of how hard it will be to start restart all our economies. And uh, uh, what's your take on it? Well, I think the number was quickly a shock, something we've never seen before in China. And actually, I think it was still polished. I think the reality was probably much worse than that. Um, we can guess that when we look at the scale of the downturn that we're expecting to see in the second quarter in the UK and the US, for example, which are far larger. Um, and I think, therefore, this is still kind of a polished version, as I said, uh, when China is supposed to put everything behind it. We're still far from good. Um, for example, we have you know, a survey done by Tsinghua University looking at small and medium enterprises which are absolutely critical to the Chinese economy, as they are to every major economy. Uh, and revenue for the sample groups that they looked at is still down 50 to 60% year on year. So if you're a small and medium enterprise and you've had a 50 to 60% drop off in revenue, even on the other side of this virus, you wonder how long you're going to be staying in business. And I don't think any government anywhere, China included, has deep enough pockets to be bailing out every single small and medium enterprise alongside all the giant companies that happen to cast for uh, well, 
China's economic data always comes with a caveat that you don't believe what you read, and uh, the figures and I know economists say the figures are much lower than what the government says, but this year's first quarter economic data was always going to be bad, and I didn't realise how bad it was. Well, and as I say, it was bad, but wait until you see the second quarter data from countries like Australia and the US to be off the charts. Uh, you know, they, they will require from now on, whenever we include them on an Excel chart, that we're on a whole different axis scale. Uh, and in fact, until they drop off of the chart in X number of years in the future, they're going to distort every single GDP chart we have going forward because they're going to be that bad. But what worries me is not how bad it is in one quarter, it's how bad it is on the other side. Because optimists continue to say, well, don't worry, everything that goes down will just come back up again. I simply don't see that being true. Um, you know, if people lose their jobs and you go from 5% unemployment to 20 purely hypothetically, you don't go back from 20 to 5 at the same pace. It takes much, 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 much longer to hire people than it does to fire them. Equally, you know, the more companies are closed down, the more you have a domino effect that, that just knocks other companies over with it. So the, the downward spiral is much sharper and harsher than the upward spiral on the other side. Equally, you have to think about the fact that the government is going to have a tough choice to make on the other side of this crisis. What are they going to do about the massive debt that they have ramped up to try and at least take some of the sting out of the wound. Well, are they going to raise taxes? If so, no recovery for us. Uh, are they going to cut spending, more austerity? If so, no recovery for us. Are they just going to say we've printed money? Well, probably they will, in which case there are still pipers to be paid. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, you know, there are very negative implications that that happens too, particularly uh, globally. So that's a complete mess. And then you have to think most fundamentally how do we act knowing that this virus hasn't gone away? We haven't beaten the virus. It's just temporarily in abatement because we've all been locked down at home. As soon as everyone comes out of lockdown and starts socialising again, it will start growing again. Until we have a vaccine that works and that everyone in the world has taken, this virus will be a threat. And as a result, you're not going to see measures put in place. Uh, we're already seeing the government saying this now around the world to maintain social distancing. So, for example, yes, open your restaurant by all means, but one customer per table, with, you know, with two metres per table. Now, you know what margins, what thin margins restaurants operate on. What you're effectively saying is you can open, but you can't make any money. So how is that sustainable? And if you, if you question all these things the same way that I do, it's not just about how bad the dip is going to be in Q2 for Australia and for others. It's what kind of recovery can we expect on the other side? And I think pretty feeble. Now, I, I, we're hearing stuff that uh, people are actually returning to normal business operations in China or they're looking to return to normal business operations by the end of April. Uh, what's your reading on that? Well, I don't think it's true. Uh, if you look at any anecdotes from on the ground, you're hearing cynical stories of companies being told to leave their electricity on 24 hours and leave the lights on and the air conditioning on just to try and show their electricity production is up to normal again. We're hearing anecdotes of that. We're clearly seeing from the data that things are not back to normal in the export sector because, frankly, no one's buying anything around the world. So what's the point in coming back on stream just to have no one to sell to for months and months and months? Um, and in terms of domestic demand, anecdotally, just look at any reports that you see. No one's really going in shops. People are still buying, but they're doing online things. 
people are not really going in cafes. They're not going to cinemas, which is still shut, by the way. Um, they're not doing mass gatherings. So parts of the economy have come back, yes, on a partial social distanced scale. Uh, and that's on the assumption that we don't get an immediate uh, breakout of the virus again in the next couple of months, which cannot be ruled out anywhere, including in China. But again, you know, I come back to my earlier point. Until you've beaten the virus, it's really, you know, it's, 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 it's building a house on, on sand to think that we can talk about what kind of economic recovery we're going to have. We have to beat the virus first. And that's going to be problematic because uh, while everyone is talking about getting a vaccine up in the next 12 months or so, the reality is it takes 10 to 15 years to develop a vaccine. And from what I'm hearing, uh, we're no closer to developing. Well, let's take the most bearish argument and take the most bullish. The most bearish argument is we don't get a vaccine. There is no guarantee in life that we will have one. Do we have one that works with the flu? No. Do we have one that works with the cold? No, the common cold. Those are both forms of coronavirus. So there is absolutely no guarantee that we get a vaccine that works safely and sufficiently for a large enough body of the population that we can say that we've got this thing under control. That's your most bearish case. In which, in which uh, case, we are basically dealing with this from now on. You know, the, the social distancing, the mitigation measures, the intermediate lockdowns for, you know, certain cities or certain regions or certain countries will be on and off typically until the science finally allows us to do something about it. That's terrifying if you think about it because all kinds of business models simply don't work. Now, we can say that, yes, if we can develop a tech that works really effectively and instantly, we can perhaps get around it by isolating people and testing them all the time. That, I think, is also another way to deal with it. We're still a long, long way away from that. I think the technology there is easier but it's just ramping up the scale of it because every single country around the world is, is failing to develop mass testing the way that it said it needs to. It's a universal failure. And we know when they're even starting it in emerging markets. You know, if America can't do it, and Europe can't do it, uh, and Australia can't do it, you can imagine what it must be in an emerging market. Well, let's go to the most bullish case. The most bullish case is the vaccine in a couple of months, which you know, I think will be historically unprecedented, and it works safely. And we managed to uh, grow, you know, 7 billion vials of it and distribute them for free. And someone picked up a tab for Africa and for Latin America because we'll pay for you. Um, and then we'll go back to normal. Fantastic. And if we're lucky, you know, by the second half of 2021, we can put all this behind us. Even then, I, you know, posit life won't go back to normal. Because if you're any kind of businessman, if you're any kind of politician, are you seriously going to suggest that the way we were running our companies and the way we were running our countries and the global economy was sufficiently prudent when you consider that shocks like this can occur? And this wasn't even a black swan. I get angry when people call this a black swan. Now, I didn't forecast it. I'm not pretending I did for a moment. But experts in epidemiology had been warning for years it was a question of when, not if, this would happen. And we had SARS, and we had MERS, and we had bird flu recently, you know, H1, uh, H1N1. And then we had swine flu recently, too. We have had four warnings of this. And yet, nobody that we continue to have our supply chain space, you know, in China or in country X or in country Y. We have no ability to even make rubber gloves or face masks or ventilators. Now, some of the richest, most powerful countries in the world 
can't make simple things like protective aprons. You know, our health services are inadequate in many places. The whole thing has been an absolute shambolic farce. You know, God forbid we have another crisis similar to this. There is a genuine tax one. But I think we will have to see a prudent reaction from governments around the world to restructure the way economies function, both domestically in terms of domestic spending on a safety net, not just for viruses, but for other things, and internationally in terms of saying we cannot rely on just one country to make everything for us. We need more industry in anything related to health and safety and national security at home. How can you rely on China for 97% of your antibiotics? assessment, which you know the market seems to be fighting for. Nothing will be the same again if anybody is running the country with any kind of IQ. Now, that doesn't mean we actually have that. We may have more on running the place because we have more on running the place than we now. Things may go back to normal, and I hope they don't because it would be idiotically dangerous for that to happen. Well, it means there's a lot of work ahead of us, and uh, it's all. <laughs> It's all up now to governments around the world to uh, work very hard. And, uh, Michael, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. And stay safe. Thank you, Andy. So what's happening in the news? Well, the coronavirus pandemic will cause the global economy to shrink 4% in 2020, according to a Bloomberg economics estimate that assumes the recovery starts in the second half of the year. The economy has entered a downturn of unprecedented speed and severity with most advanced economies facing their weakest performance since the Great Depression, Tom Orlick and Jamie Rush wrote in a report. Relative to expectations at the start of the year, the cost of local lost output is more than $6 trillion, they wrote. And Moody's Investors Service expects G20 advanced economies as a group to contract by 5.8% in 2020. Even with a gradual recovery, 2021 real GDP in most advanced economies is expected to be below pre-coronavirus levels. Excluding China, Moody's projects G20 emerging market countries' growth of minus 3.5%, down from a forecast of 3.2% before the outbreak. China's economy is forecasted to grow by 1% in 2020. Another three months. That's about how long American businesses can handle the brutal coronavirus-triggered economic deep winter freeze. After that, they won't be reopening, says Wells Fargo acting chief economist Jay Bryson. The sudden stop in economic activity that the COVID-19 pandemic has caused means that many businesses will need to rely on their cash reserves to survive the next few months, Mr Bryson wrote on Monday. If businesses can forego profits temporarily and do not need to purchase most inputs, then we estimate that the overall business sector could hold on roughly for four more months. That puts them on a timeline to oblivion by July, counting the five or six weeks of shutdown that has already taken place. American capitalism doesn't envisage a system in which companies operate without profits or buying inputs, and neither is that true in any market economy. But the question is acute in the US given its status as the world's biggest economy. And fancy a shopping trip with friends to try on a few clothes, browse for a gift, linger in a bookstore? Those plans might be on ice for a long while yet, if guidance from the British retail industry is anything to go by. In a set of post-lockdown guidelines for non-food shops, Britain's retail industry body and the main retail trade union have painted a picture of shopping that makes it look a lot more functional than fun. Here's what your visit may look like, according to the British Retail Consortium and the Used Door Union. First, a maximum number of people will be allowed in the shop at any time, so you'll start your visit by queuing outside at a distance of two metres from everyone else. 
When you get in, a shop assistant or security guard will be greeting customers with a smiling but stern reminder to keep your distance while inside. They might point out the one-way system around the aisles. You'll see staff regularly wiping door handles, lift buttons and handrails. You might be given hand sanitizer or towels to wipe down your own trolley or basket. You might be tired from the queue, but seating will have been removed or reduced to discourage loitering. Toilets? Possibly, but only on request. Want to try on that pair of jeans? No, the change rooms are closed. Maybe test that pair of headphones? Possibly not, or only with copious amounts of sanitizer. A visit to the cosmetics counter? No, that's out too. At the till, it's card-only payments where possible. The cashier will be behind a sheet of plexiglass. The shop staff might be wearing masks and will disappear regularly for hand-washing breaks. It's clear the shopping experience won't be quite what it was before. Small wonder, then, that in a country which already has one of the highest penetration rates for online shopping, there are question marks over whether bricks and mortar shops will ever really recover from COVID-19. According to Bloomberg Economics, Australia appears to have succeeded in flattening the coronavirus curve, but such an optimistic health outcome won't prevent the economy from experiencing a deep downturn. Our base case anticipates the largest contraction since the 1930-31 Great Depression. Significant stimulus, both monetary and fiscal, is cushioning households and helping businesses to survive and retain workers. Despite this, Australia's small, open economy has already seen considerable damage and faces headwinds from subdued global demand and trade. Significant monetary fiscal coordination to provide further stimulus will be required to recover the economy over the years ahead. Bloomberg anticipated three consecutive quarters of declining gross domestic product, with Australia's economy contracting by 9% from the fourth quarter in 2019 before a gradual recovery begins in the fourth quarter of 2020. We do not expect a recovery to pre-outbreak level of activity until the second half of 2022. For 2020, its base case estimate remains a 6% contraction, unchanged from our previous projection. The better-than-expected virus container boost 2021 growth from 1.6% to 2.5%. A potential second wave of outbreak remains a main downside risk. The overnight cash rate is expected to remain on hold through at least 2022, with ongoing quantitative easing to contain yields amid rising issuances as fiscal packages and automatic stabilisers kick in. And a rise of 0.3% in the March 2020 quarter Consumer price index reflected the impact of drought and bushfires on some food prices and the early effects of COVID-19, according to the latest Australian Bureau of Statistics figures. And Treasury Deputy Secretary Jenny Wilkinson told the Senate Committee 540,000 businesses covering 3.3 million workers have registered for the JobKeeper scheme. It was also revealed 757,000 of 762 applications for early access to superannuation have been approved with payouts totalling $6.3 billion. More than $4.5 billion has been paid out to businesses a week earlier than scheduled. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and Finance Minister Matthias Cormann will provide economic updates to Parliament on May the 12th to outline the government's $320 billion in coronavirus measures. Senator Cormann says some jobs will never return after the coronavirus pandemic, but new kinds of jobs and new businesses will emerge from the crisis. Treasury Secretary Stephen Kennedy giving evidence to the Senate Select Committee on the government's COVID-19 response said the final shape of the economic shock coming for Australia will depend on how widely the deadly virus is transmitted here and overseas. But he said some jobs and businesses will have been lost permanently. And the coronavirus shutdown has had an immense impact on Australian hotel room bookings, according to research from the hotel analyst STR. More than 240,000 hotel rooms around the nation are uninhabited, either shut or vacant, 
and some 300 hotels have closed their doors. Of those that remain open, occupancy rates sit at just 20%. Western Australia's hotels have maintained their highest rate of occupancy, sitting at 30%. Hotel owners say the biggest challenge in staying afloat during the downturn is a lack of certainty. And Australian businesses have warned the national economy could take a $400 billion hit if coronavirus restrictions are kept in place for six months. Modelling by the Business Council of Australia shows the economy could shrink by more than 20% this year. But if a rapid V-shaped approach to recovery is taken, the economy could contract by as little as $197.3 billion. The business lobby group is campaigning for an early easing of trading restrictions to get the economy going again. It's also pushing for changes to company taxes and industrial relations laws. Industry Super Australia, the lobby group representing 15 big funds with a combined $412 billion under management, fears the total savings drawdown could double the government's $27 billion forecast. And younger workers who've been laid off or had their hours reduced appear to be completely draining their superannuation savings, according to average drawdown data from the first week of the government's early access scheme. The figures came as Treasury confirmed a decision to allow temporary visa holders to draw down their savings, and that's expected to see a further 700,000 fund members drain an extra $2.5 billion out of the $3 trillion retirement income system. This would take the government's estimate of take-up of the access scheme to $2.3 million members, unlocking a total of $29.5 billion by the end of September, up from an initial estimate of 1.6 million members, raising $27 billion. And the frugal habits formed by housebound Australian consumers amid the coronavirus pandemic could have a lasting impact on the way we save and spending in coming years, according to a data analytics firm owned by Accenture. The firm has seen a surge in spending on gambling sites, alcohol, video games, pet grooming services and music and television streaming services. Consumers have abandoned spending on clothing, retailers, fitness centres, beauty and nail salons and dentists, and most consumers don't plan to return to their old spending habits. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison has shelved talk of a six-month economic hibernation and is nudging the states to allow more businesses to reopen before an official review of restrictions in less than three weeks. Queensland and Western Australia on Sunday responded to weeks of low infection rates by taking their first steps to unwind strict social distancing rules, including for local travel and social gatherings. In a boost to real estate activity, WA will allow 10 people to attend home inspections. The moves indicate the battered economy is poised to reopen faster than planned. The government is leaving open the option of an early windback of the $130 billion JobKeeper wage subsidies for some businesses that return to more normal trading conditions. And National Australia Bank has released its half-year results 11 days before schedule, cutting the interim dividend to 30 cents per share and unveiling a $3 billion placement to bolster capital ahead of an expected spike in credit losses. The bank reported a 51% slump in half-year profit to $1.3 billion. The single biggest factor in that decline was an almost $1.2 billion increase in the money the bank set aside to cover future losses from bad debts, with more than $800 million directly related to COVID-19 effects. There was a further $1 billion in write-downs to a change in the way the bank accounts for the cost of its software. However, the results for the half-year ending on March 31 are yet to reflect the full fallout from COVID-19 and the shutdowns and social distancing that have crippled large sections of the Australian economy. And NAB's underwritten $3 billion institutional placement will be accompanied by a share purchase plan to raise a further $500 million as the bank seeks to provide a buffer to assist with credit losses and soaring risks that could result from a severe and prolonged downturn, the bank said in presentation slides, released in a flurry of surprise ASX announcements on Monday morning. 
In light of the uncertain economic outlook due to COVID-19 pandemic, we're taking proactive steps to build capital via an equity rating and reduction in the interim dividend, said NAB Chairman Phil Kronikan and Group CEO Ross McEwen in a joint letter to shareholders. Cash earnings has fallen 24% to $2.4 billion for the half. NAB will pay a $0.30 cents interim dividend, fully frank, reflecting a payout ratio of 35%, a cut of 64% on the $0.83 cents interim dividend paid at the half year in 2019. And Westpac has revealed the bank will take an additional $1.6 billion hit in the first half of interim results next week as it braces for the impact of the COVID-19 economic fallout. The bank says the impairment charge is related to significant changes to key forecasts in the wake of the virus crisis, a deteriorating worst-case scenario, and an additional industry-by-industry overlay of additional stress that may emerge in the months ahead. The bank flagged a total of $2.2 billion in provisions for the half with another $600 million of non-COVID-19 related provisions. These charges are in addition to the $1.43 billion in charges the bank announced two weeks ago, which included setting aside $900 million for the Austrac matter. An aristocrat leisure has suspended its interim dividend after reporting almost all its land-based customers globally have suspended operations since mid-March. Its land-based operations account for approximately 60% of total revenue, while 40% comes from its digital business. The company said in response it had undertaken a range of cost reduction initiatives. Roughly 1,000 staff will be stood down until the end of June 2020, and 200 roles permanently removed from the business. 200 full-time roles will move to part-time until the end of September, and cuts of 10-20% to 20% will be applied to the base salaries of 1,500 staff. Fees paid to directors will be reduced by 20%, and Managing Director Trevor Kroger will reduce his salary by 30%. And Australia's fitness industry contends it should be one of the first sectors to reopen as retail restrictions around the coronavirus pandemic are loosened. Industry representatives say that if masks are worn, air conditioning is turned off to allow fresh air to circulate, and equipment is cleaned regularly, gyms can follow appropriate social guidelines. Epidemiology experts are more cautious, though, arguing fitness centres will likely remain unsafe in the short term, even with hygiene and distancing rules. Gyms have been closed since March the 23rd. And Airbnb has announced new protocols for cleaning and sanitising its listed properties in an effort to reassure travellers and revive bookings for the home sharing platform, which is reeling from the coronavirus pandemic. The initiative, set to launch in May, calls for enhanced procedures and guidance on how to clean every room in a home and a certification program to identify properties meeting the new standards. Airbnb said it was establishing the new safety policy based on the guidance from the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other experts in the field amid signs of an easing of antivirus restrictions in some countries. The new standards will include a 24-hour waiting period between occupancies. Hosts unable to meet the new protocol may instead opt for a booking buffer of 72 hours during which time no reservations will be allowed. And Coles sales rose a record 12.9% to $9.2 billion in the March quarter as shoppers stocked up toilet paper, tissues and other staples and snapped up takeaway liquor amid the coronavirus crisis. Coles supermarket sales rose 13.8% to $8.2 billion and same-store sales, which strip out the impact of new stores, rose a record 13.1%. Same-store sales growth fell slightly short of some analysts' forecasts as restrictions on purchase of toilet paper, tissues and dozens of staple foods and cleaning products held back sales growth. And one of Australia's biggest gold miners has warned that extra hours and other changes designed to prevent COVID-19 outbreaks are increasing the risk of mental illness among workers. 
Northern Star Resources said there'd been a huge spike in workers seeking mental health support in Western Australia, and predicted the issue would affect companies across a resources-rich state. Bell Beeman-led Northern Star said one of its mines recently had more inquiries to emergency assistance providers in a week than in the previous 12 months. Mr Beeman said the impact on the costs and productivity of measures aimed at guarding against COVID-19 infections on mine sites was still unfolding. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Chief Transparency Officer of Transparent Business, Mo Vella, over in New York, an expert in remote working. He will provide valuable insight for businesses helping to make this transition to remote work. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about the market in the week ahead. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBiz, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week. And looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.